Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. A couple of weeks ago, my youngest son asked me a question, and when you are a parent, there are those moments, you know, and you don't know when they're going to come, but there are those moments when your kid asks you a question, you're like, okay, this is it. Like, I've been tr- waiting for this question. Like, I, I need to be ready. And, and, and some questions are hard, and some questions are awkward or whatever. And my, my youngest son, Eamon, he had come back from school, and he, he asked me one of those questions, you know. He, he, he looked at me, and he said, and, and, you've, and this is, truthfully, this is a question every kid has asked every parent in the history of history, right? He looked at me, and he said, Dad, why do I have to learn algebra? <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I felt that at a very soul level when he said that, when he asked me that question. It went, that went deep into me because I was like, oh, yeah, no, I, I know exactly the space that this comes from. And you're never ready as a parent to answer the questions, right, in the moment. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, you know, like, algebra, it's, it's, it's really important. They're like, you need to... Learn the things. I mean, how are you ever going to find X if you don't know where X... I mean, someone's got to find X. X has been lost for, like, millennia. Like, you know, and they get the... There it is. I found it. Yay. Like, that's, that's about my algebra skill, right? Like, hey, there's X, you know? Like, so I, I tried to answer it, and he's like... But he's like, but really, like, why, why, do I, why do I have to know this? And it's hard to answer because unless you're going into, like, this really technical field where you need math, you know, or higher math or whatever, the, you probably don't need a lot of algebra. Now you can argue that it teaches you to think, and I think there's a lot of value to all that stuff. But it is weird, right? There's, at no point in my life has anyone ever come up to me and said, Chris, suppose a train is leaving Philadelphia at 70 miles an hour, and another train starts at 450. No one has asked me, and, and I wish someone would, because it's like my entire life since I've been 15, I've been like, I, I've got the answer. I will find X for you if you just want to know. And nobody wants to know. Nobody cares. And, and I'm, I'm joking, of course, because math is important, all that. But, but, um, but it's like that about a lot of subjects. It's like that about a lot of things. There's a lot of things where we just sort of go like, man, does this matter? Do I need this? What does, does any of this stuff matter? And I wish it was just math that we said that about. We actually say it about a whole lot of things in life. It's very easy to assume because we can't see a purpose to something. It's easy to assume that it has no purpose. And, and, and that's on a small scale, that's that's algebra too, but on a large scale, what happens is we go through high school and maybe we go to college or maybe we start into a career and we, we pursue career advancement and success and we, we do dating and we try to get a car and a spouse and all of the things that we kind of go through in life. And I think what happens is we sort of wake up maybe in our late 20s, maybe in our 30s, 40s, I don't know. I actually think this angst is starting younger and younger, but we, we wake up and we sort of go like, what is the purpose of life? Like, what is the meaning behind all of this? Now, typically, we don't say, what is the meaning of life, or what is my purpose in this world, or is there any purpose here on earth that I should fulfill? We typically don't say that out loud unless you were like a philosophy major. You might have said that. But for those of us who were like teachers or dentists or like IT workers or whatever, 
you, you, you start getting these, this sort of angsty feeling, and you, you ask these questions. You say things like, is this it? And I thought it was going to be better than this. Is this it? Uh, does any of this matter? Does any of this matter? I'm doing all these things, but does it matter? Is this all there is? I, I thought it was going to feel better than this to succeed, compete, win, accomplish something. What difference does any of this make? These are the kind of questions we ask, maybe to ourselves, maybe out loud, but in some ways they're, the, they're a different version of my son asking about algebra. We're just sort of going like, is there a test? Is this going to be on the test? And if not, why do I need to know this? Why, why does it matter uh, about anything? What does, why does any of this stuff matter? Uh, and underneath all of that question, I think there's an actual fear. I think we're afraid that what we're doing or where we were spending our days on this earth, because we're aware that our days are short, that we only have so many days of, to live. And I think there's a fear underneath all of that that what we're doing doesn't really matter. We're making widgets, and maybe we make those widgets really well, but at some point we're sort of going like, why am I making widgets? What's the point of this, of this whole thing? And we've chased success maybe in our 20s, and maybe you've chased success in your 30s, and maybe you've even had some success, and maybe some things have worked out the way you wanted to, but at some point you start asking these questions. And, and we will call it something like a, a midlife crisis, I suppose, but I think what it is is we're afraid. I think there's fear underneath that. There's fear that nothing really matters. There's fear that we are wasting our lives. If you've ever felt that, that fear, that angst, uh, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I actually think it's, it's a big part of life in our culture. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, I'm just a really anxious person, or I'm just, I'm just, I have a lot of anxiety, I'm fearful, I have, I'm anxious. And I know there's like some actual diagnosis there and things like that, but a lot of times when I hear that, I think, you're not anxious, you're just American. Like, it's just in the air now. It, it's, it's, it's blasted out at you in all forms of media and, and all that. It is just all this fear-inducing, anxiety-inducing, here are all the things that can kill you and here are all the bad things that could happen so you will buy this product and vote for me and all of these things. Like, that's the way our culture is designed. And so if you, if you feel anxious or fearful or if you feel like, man, I, this all seems meaningless, nothing really matters, if you feel that way, I just want to affirm you and say you came by it honestly because that's the water that we drink in this culture. And so I want to talk about it because I think it's a real, a real fear for us um, that, that we've gotten. And, and I think it starts probably when we're young. But think about what we tell young adults in this cu- culture. We, 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 we think we are inspiring the next generation when we tell them things like, you have all the freedom in the world. You are free to be whatever you want to be. Go get it. And we're like, yes. What I want to be. I don't know, but you're free to be it. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, it is. And we say things like, reach for the stars. Okay, I'll reach for the stars. Dream big dreams. There are no limits. I mean, it's starting to sound like a Disney princess song that I'm, I'm practically singing up here, right? But, it, but that's how we pass on that kind of culture. We pass on the narrative that you are free, that you are, that you are boundless. You can do or become whatever you want. And we love this kind of story. And then we say things like, be authentic. So you're free to be whatever you want as long as it's authentically you. So look, 
deep inside yourself and figure out who you are in there and come out and bring the true you and you, the real you, the vulnerable Brene Brown you shows up in the world perfectly. And when you do that in beautiful vulnerability and openness and the authentic you, that is the most beautiful thing that ever happened in the beauty in the history of all beauty. That is it. And we're like, this is so wonderful that you are you, you are authentic. And honestly, we're sitting there kind of going, but I don't really know who I am. And we're like, okay, but bring you. And I'm like, I don't know what you is. No one, I don't exactly, it's weird. Like, it, this is what we do to people. And, and, and finally, on in, in top of freedom and, and this boundless, authentic thing, we tell people that they have autonomy. So not only are you free, and not only are you boundless, and not only are you authentic, no one can tell you what you are. You get to choose all of the things, all the aspects of your life and your beliefs and your identity and your religion and your faith and your everything. You get to pick all of that stuff. No one decides for you. And we think by piling all of that onto people, we are doing them a favor. And it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Be whatever you want. I don't know what to be. I don't know either, but be it. This is terrifying. No wonder we're afraid. No wonder we're anxious. This is the lies we've sold to generations of people and, and told them that there's nothing out there except what you decide. Oh, gosh, I don't like the sound of that because I can decide some bad things depending on how I slept last night and what I had for breakfast this morning. Like, this is not a good, a good setup for people to be non-anxious. And so I think we... we, we deal a lot of fear out there to people. And I think the truth is we all need some direction, some, some boundaries. Imagine I said, hey, let's get together. We're going to get some people together. We're going to play a game. Like, cool. What's the game? I don't know. It's whatever you decide. Here's a ball. Okay, well, uh, what, what are we going to do with the ball? It's whatever you want. There are no limits. There's no boundaries. Just play the game. I don't know what we're playing. It doesn't matter. You've got a ball and a team. Well, how are we going to score points? It's whatever you decide. But I decide this, and they decided this. That's fine. Like, this game is terrible. Like, nobody, how am I going to know if I win? It doesn't matter. Like, would you play that game? Like, we think, and that's what we do as a society. Or think of it a different way. If you go to the symphony, and the conductor, who's supposed to hold the thing together and unify around this beautiful vision of what music could be, stands up there and is like, Hey, y'all, whatever you got in the book, everybody just grab something, let's go. Ready? Go. And everybody starts playing. The clarinet's playing this, the drum's playing this, the violin player's playing this, the, the cello's playing this. Everybody just plays whatever the heck they want. It would not be great to listen to. Yes, it's free and it's autonomous and they're being their authentic selves. And no one is telling them what to be. But they're not creating anything beautiful. It's not going anywhere. There's no direction for it. And you need direction. You, you need a sense of purpose. It needs to be going somewhere. Life needs to be going somewhere. And when, we're t when we tell people there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere worth going, or you get to decide, and all of life is a choose-your-own-adventure, it's actually a disaster. If you don't know what life is, this is why people move in a very bad direction. 
This is why you see a rise in nationalism, because people decide my country's the thing that matters the most. This is why you see a rise in racism, because people decide my race is what matters most. Socialism, the alt-right, Antifa, all of these things are, are, are all, there's no overarching meaning you get to decide, and people will go decide some pretty bad things. There's a quote, I don't know who it came from, but I love it. It says this, young men need something virtuous to give their lives and loyalty to. When they don't have it, or when they're taught it doesn't exist, they will give their lives and loyalty to something that destroys them and others. I, I, I don't know that this is an affliction just of men. I think men can get real bad with it, but this is what happens. We're taught that there is nothing to give your life to, and it's all what you decide. And people will end up giving their lives to really terrible things that will destroy themselves and destroy other people. And this is an area where I think our faith, Christianity, is useful. Even if you don't believe it's true, and if you don't buy Jesus rose from the dead and all of the, the teachings of Christianity, it's useful here because it gives direction and gives guidelines to the world. A worldview, how you see life and your place in the story of life, it basically has these four elements. It, has, it explains origin. It explains meaning, what we're here for. It explains morality, what is a good and bad thing to do. And it explains destiny, where are we going. So it's where I came from all the way through where I'm going and what I'm doing all along the way. And this is an area that I think Christianity shines. And I want, I want to just walk through these with you with some scripture and contrast that with the view that our culture is giving us about with answers to those questions. So number one, around origin. Let's talk about that. We have an origin story as followers of Jesus that traces back all the way through the Old Testament to, to Judaism and to, to, to the, the, the narrative there in the Torah, in the Old Testament. And so Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, the start of it all, Genesis, the beginning, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is an origin story of us. This is where we came from. Everything, when you look around and go, like, how did this get here? This is attempting to explain uh, some of that. Now, notice the Genesis story says, in the beginning, God. It doesn't say what year it happened, and it doesn't give you a lot of details about exactly how it happened. All we know is God made it happen, and he spoke it into existence. Imagine if you've never seen an automobile in your life. And you come, you're walking outside and someone comes along with an automobile. How crazy is that, right? If you've never seen a mechanical thing like that, you're used to just the world of nature and whatever, you see this mechanical thing. There's, there's lots of questions you would have, but I would, I would think at the top of your list of questions is, what does that do? And your next question would be, uh, who made that? Like, because you'd have a lot of other questions, you want to find out who the creator of that thing was. So you'd want to like go to the source. Like, and it would also help you understand what it does, is if you could find out who made it, you could ask them, what were you intending this automobile thing to do? You might be amazed by it. You wouldn't necessarily ask, when was it made, or exactly how it was made. You might ask those things later. But the crucial questions to answer are, why did this come into existence? What does it do? And then, like, how, how, how did this happen? And who's responsible for this? These are crucial questions to ask. These are the questions Genesis answers. Genesis does not answer what year did this happen, okay? The origin story isn't lined up that way. It's trying to tell you who did it and why. 
And then he explains us in the story. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. This is, this is the story of us. This is where we, we came from. And these origin stories matter. If you don't know where you came from, it's really hard to know who you are. You see that all over the world when people um, maybe are disconnected from or or they lose their parents. Um, If you don't have a sense of history of my people and where I came from, it's really hard to know where you fit in, in all of that. Now that's the origin story according to Christianity and Judaism. What's the origin story of us that you're taught Outside of that, okay, what is the secular version of the origin story? You know this if you went to public school. You can probably recite it with me. It was in your first grade textbook. 13.4 billion years ago, there was a little speck, and it went bang, and it exploded, and everything. Now, what came before that speck? How that speck got there? Don't ask those kind of questions. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about how and the mechanism of it. There was a speck. It exploded 13 billion years ago. It was a long time ago. And then 5 billion years ago, give or take a few bill, uh, the earth became like lava, and then that cooled, and then there was water and rain, and then there's like vegetation and plants, and then suddenly there's like single-celled organisms. They evolve into multi-cell organisms, and then boom, suddenly this is like fish and birds, and then there's animals, and then there's people, and then there's Kanye. And this is the... <laughs> progression of of evolution of the world, there's a couple things in there I skipped out on, but that's roughly the story. You know the story, right? You can recite that. You've heard that before. You you, you get it. This is the origin story in the secular world. But think about the implications of that. If my origin story is God created me, it means I have a creator. If I made his image male and female, then me being male means something, that I reflect the image of God and that women reflect the image of God differently and that together we make something beautiful in the image of God. There's something going on there. I'm given dominion over the animals and the fish and the sea and the plants and, the, and all the stuff. I'm supposed to take care I ha- of this earth that I'm on. So I have a creator. That means I am a creation. I have a purpose. I have someone I can look to and say, what am I here for? Like All of those questions are addressed or answered in some way in, in the Genesis account. Whereas if I believe and say that's all ridiculous and I just go 13.4 billion and I do that whole story, then my version of the story is I'm basically an evolved animal and I'm instinctual and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a primate and, and you know, you and me baby ain't nothing but mammals. Like that's, that's my understanding. You don't have to finish the song in your head, just let it go. Uh, uh, this is my understanding of the world, and this is where I sit in it. It's like, it, it doesn't matter much. I'm just a, a, a basically a, an instinctual animal who has, is a little better at language than the other animals, you know, some version of that. I think there are implications to that. If, I'm, if my origin is from God, then I'm responsible to God. And if I'm made in his image, that says something about who I am and my character and what I'm, what I'm trying to accomplish. If my origin is not from God, then... I'm not really responsible to anybody, maybe to my tribe, maybe, and then I'll fight against your tribe, and that's going to cause all sorts of problems. Um, But it's very easy if I don't believe the God story, it's very easy to justify me doing whatever I want to do because there's no one ultimately watching out. So that's the origin. Um, I think our faith also gives us a sense of meaning. 
Um, it, it speaks to meaning about what actually matters. And this is the heart of what I wanted to talk about today, our meaning, our, our purpose um, in, 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 in the world. What are we doing here? What is life about? What do we, if we get 78-ish years on earth, what, do, what are we doing with those? And this is where Jesus comes along and he tells his followers, his, the, the, one of the key things he says before he leaves them. So he spent years teaching them. And, and in kind of this final word, like, I really want you to get this before I go. He says this, Matthew chapter 28, he talks to 11 of his closest apostles. Listen to what he says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So pause just a second. Everything flows to Jesus. All power, authority, like he is it, the pinnacle, Okay. All authority has been given to him. And because of that, there are implications for us. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' followers were given marching orders, were given a, a mission, a purpose. He said, look, you're here. I have all authority on earth, and, and you're going to worship me, follow me, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples. Now, a disciple, this is what churches do. This is the mission of Area 10 Faith Community. This is what we're here for. We're here to make disciples, and we're here to make disciples who make disciples. So we're here to pass on our faith to the next generation and to, to other people that we meet, like everyone we come in contact with. We want people to be disciples of Jesus. We want people to get baptized into him, give their lives to him, and then it says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. So learning from Jesus, following after him like an apprentice. We, we be with Jesus to become like Jesus so we can do the things that Jesus does. This is, this is what it means to be a, a follower of him. And this gives a lot of uh, shape and purpose to our lives. Um, there's, there's meaning here. If you want to know why I exist on earth, it's to make disciples who make disciples. And that's not just because I'm a minister in a church. That's because I'm a follower of Jesus. This is, this is what, what we do. Um, and, and, and Christians have always understood that this message wasn't just for those 11 apostles that heard him say that. Um, it's for all of us throughout history. And because of that message and that mission and that purpose, Christians have started hospitals and they've started schools and universities and they've uh, done practiced a lot of science and they've made great art and they've done all of these things to honor God, to understand how God works in the world, to educate other people about God and to teach others. Like um, it has all been wrapped up inside of that. All the culture making that Christians have done for millennia is because of 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 this mission. What does meaning look like in a culture outside of that? What does meaning look like in a secular culture? I'm not going to get into that too much. We've already discussed it, but I don't think there's a lot there. It sounds liberating to tell people you can be anything you want to be, but without any guard or guide rail there, it's, it's not liberating. It's actually enslaving. G.K. Chesterton says, in freeing ourselves from Christianity, we have freed ourselves from freedom. So we've done. We, we, we think we're free, and the reality is we're just enslaved to something else. Mostly, we are enslaved to our passions. So Christianity gives us origin, and it gives us meaning in life. It also gives us a sense of morality. Christianity gives us this code of the way to be with people. And this is hard to explain because we live in a culture that, for the most part, was built off of that code. So when I say things, 
that are like, oh, ethically you should do this and not do that, a lot of people would nod their head and they don't think it's Christian. They just think this is the way it is. And we don't recognize that the way it is is built off Christian principles if you go back far enough. So an example would be Matthew 7, verse 12. Jesus says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You've probably heard that before. It's called the golden rule. And we lift it out of Jesus, the context of Jesus, and out of Scripture, and we put it on the wall, and we go, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we all probably know that. Even if you are not a follower of Jesus, you've heard that before. You learned that in kindergarten. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Keep your hands to yourself. Don't talk when the teacher's talking. Like, these are basic rules of humanity, right? Basic moral code. And what we're missing, and maybe what we fail to understand is there are roots to this. This came from somewhere. It came from Jesus. Like, there's a, there's a, guide, there, there's a guideline there that, that Christ gives us of the way to be. And it's not just about do unto others because the, the world before Jesus comes along did not, did not have the golden rule. They had similar things. They had like a silver or bronze rule, but they didn't have the golden one. It was different. They had a different way of looking at people. And, 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 and it, it's the kind of way, the golden rule is the kind of thinking that you don't see in a, a lot of the other culture. The world, if you were just to go observe nature, the world is very like dog-eat-dog. Dog. The world is very survival of the fittest. And Christianity comes along and it gives all these ethics and guidelines around it. And it's not just about the golden rule, it's about sex and what it's for and where it's for and with who and how and money and gender and and things about honesty and anger and pride and community and race and like Christianity speaks into all of these things and gives guidelines. What is the secular equivalent then? What is the secular view of morality? If you're to take the God piece out, the Jesus piece out, what are we left with? Well, we're left with some of the things that you hear in culture today. Things like Kindness is everything. Is it? Is it though? Is kindness everything? Like, I'm a fan of kindness. I like it. I like it better than meanness. I think meanness has gotten people pretty far though in the world, hasn't it? Like, it's 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 useful. It's it's gotten it's gotten some things accomplished. Uh, kindness is everything. Well, what about dominance? Dominance rules. Dominance in nature is where it's at. Like, the big dog, the alpha, you win, you, you crush your opponents, you kill, you, you rise above. That's dominance. That's kind of a big deal. If, so if, if we're going to say, no God defines this for us, what are we, what are we left to, to grasp at? What are, what, are we, what are we trying to do? Now, I know that seems really cynical, and maybe a cynical view of, of, of the culture. Um, I don't think that everybody who's not a Christian is mean. I don't think that's the case at all. I've met kind people of all sorts of worldviews. But I do think there's a disconnect there where a, a lot of people haven't really thought it through. Um, how, how do you actually be moral without God? Without a definition that exists outside of you? How do you gin up morality? How do you gin up an ethical code that you can live according to it? I've seen people try. I've seen Christopher Hitchens try. I've seen Sam Harris try. I've, I've read some stuff, but none of it is very compelling. So I think uh, our, our faith gives us a sense of morality. 
Um, and I think there's a lot of value in that because it helps us sort through. There are many things you can do in this world. What is a good thing to do and why? Where, where is this all going? What is ethical? What is valuable? What are the things we should be pursuing? And then finally, as I've hinted at here, is the last piece, destiny. The Christian view of where is this all going? What's going on at the end of time? Revelation chapter 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the Christian vision of where the world is going. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. These words are trustworthy and true. There is a direction, and, and it'll be a restoration of Eden. There will be a sense of paradise with God in a place that there's no more death. That's so good. And no more pain, and no more mourning, and sorrow, and hurt. This is where the world is going. And if I believe that, it changes my view of what I can accomplish in life. It changes my view of where, where, where I think life is going. It changes my view of what I think I need to do here and now. Like, my vision of the future changes the way I live right now. Um, we talked about that a lot, especially about death last week, so I'm not going to go into all of that. But, but our understanding of death and hope puts our struggles in this life and our time on this earth, it puts all of that into perspective. The secular view, if you, if, you, if you remove that, the secular view of destiny, we have no sense of where we're going. It's basically you came from dust and you will end in dust, and that's it. And when you die, it's over. There's no hope. There's no afterlife. Those who have died before you, they're gone, and it's just over, and you're just going to need to deal with it. Um, and the weird thing about that is I don't think people say that out loud very often or, or admit it. Like if you go to a funeral, no matter the worldview of the person who died or the people in the room, eventually someone is going to say they're in a better place. I don't know if that's true. We believe that. We want to believe that. Oh, they're in a better place. But if you think there's no hope after death, if, this, if that really is final... Are they in a better place? Are they? I, what, 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 are we, what are we really getting at? One of the most famous atheists of the 20th century um, was a guy named Bertrand Russell. And listen to the way he describes our universe. Just, just let these words wash over you like poetry. He says this, In the visible world, the Milky Way is a tiny fragment. Within this fragment, the solar system is an infinitesimal speck. And of this speck, our planet is a microscopic dot. On this dot, 
tiny lumps of impure carbon and water of complicated structure with somewhat unusual physical and chemical properties crawl about for a few years until they are dissolved again into the elements of which they are compounded. Isn't that beautiful? I, so, um, he's, Bertrand Russell's probably way smarter than, than, than me. Um, but a couple things I notice about that view of destiny and that view of the world. Um, one, and he may be right. He may be right. Maybe that's all this is. But one, that story has no hope. There's no hope baked into that. There's nothing, there's nothing there. Would you like that read at your funeral? Jim was, a, Jim was just a lump of impure carbon who crawled about for 73 years and then eventually he died. Now he's dissolved back into the elements of which he was compounded. See you at lunch. You know, like, it's terrible. There's no hope in that, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't say that. That story, that, that version of reality also, that kicks up some fear in us. Wait a second, what if that's right? What if nothing I'm doing really matters? What if I'm basically just a lump of carbon crawling around for years? This is it's terrible. It's, it's anxiety-inducing. But third, here's what I notice about that story. Even if that story is true, and that is the way the universe is, nobody lives that way. Nobody lives like they believe that. Even Bertrand Russell didn't live like he believed that. We don't do that, do we? Like... You love your kids. Why? Well, because you believe loving them is better than hating them. Why? Well, because you think there's something grander going on here, like it's tied to something. You love your kids. You pursue music. You're moved by poetry, and you want to create it. You, you, you're, you're, you're into art. You think that some things matter, and some things matter less, and some things are beautiful, and some things aren't. Where did all that come from if all we are are just impure lumps of carbon wandering around until we, we dissolve into the elements of which we are compounded. No, we, we actually live like there's meaning. And I think that is a yearning for God that's inside all of us. I think it's, it's truly there. Um, I think we have this yearning. And so my hope is that followers of Jesus would be ones who lead the way and say, no, there, there is something meaningful and there is something that defines the edges for us. There are guardrails in the world and they are worth following read an article called Our Impoverished Imagination. It said this, we need to regain the idea of Christianity being an entire life system. Our faith does not simply serve as a set of therapeutic principles to help individual people feel better about themselves. It actually defines what reality is and holds us accountable to it. That's the difference between me standing up here and saying, this is our life. Let's live according to it. And Dr. Phil standing up here and saying, how's that working for you? And giving you a couple good ideas. Like there's, there's a different thing going on here. There's, there's, there's guardrails to, to, live, to live by that keep us moving forward. And I think it helps free us from a lot of the fear. We don't have to be afraid because we are rooted in the true nature of reality. This week I had the opportunity to go to a TV premiere for a, a premiere for a TV show. And there was a chunk of people in a room and they premiered the show and, and one of the things they talked about on the show was the tearing down of the Lee Monument and they talked about the protests that were there last year and the different stuff with monuments coming down. And then after the show they had several of the creators of the show and different people um, 
kind of up on a stage, and they, they, they had a discussion. And it was really interesting. It was really good. Um, a discussion about um, art and public art and, and history and where we've come as a city and context. And, um, and there was all, all this discussion about what, what we create and really smart people in the room. And I, I just felt glad to be there and to hear it. You know, I'm like, man, this is really interesting uh, as people talk about it. But I was really struck by one idea um, in, in all of that. Because we, have, we, can, we can fight about the best way forward and what, who needs to lead the way and, and, and whatever. Um, but what I wanted to ask that I, that I didn't ask, but the question I kept thinking about afterwards was, um, where is this all going? Like, what is our vision for the future? You can hate the past. You can protest the present. But what is your vision for the future? Where do you think this is going to go? What are you trying to accomplish? Wouldn't that be good to know? Like if you said, hey, Chris, uh, let's, let's go for a car ride. Um, I would, I would kind of want to know where we're going first before I got in the car, right? Like, because it matters. We're going to go for a car ride. All right, where are we going? Well, New York. Okay, do I want to go to New York or not? Okay, I'll go. Oh, we're going to go to Florida. Yeah, definitely don't want to go there. So, okay, like, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Like, but it, it would be helpful to know where we're going because, not just because you got the end in mind, but also because you know what turn to make right now. If I'm going to New York, I know what road I need to get on right now. If I'm going to Florida, I know what road I need to get on right now. And, and what I saw was a conversation with people deciding who gets to drive and no conversation about where we're going. And, and I... I think it's because our culture doesn't have a lot of answers to that kind of stuff. If I asked where are we going to, to a group, I, I might get answers like uh, diversity and inclusion. Okay. What, why? What does that mean? Um, I might get answers like we're going towards kindness. Okay. Uh, what, what, are we, what are we doing here? Um, I... I I don't think people know. And the people driving the car are gone every four years, so they don't care what's long, long vision, right? Um, and others can't exactly tell us where we're going, although they're fighting to be able to drive. Um, I, I think we need something better than that if we're going to have purpose and meaning and, and have a vision for flourishing uh, for, for the world, for, our, for our, our city. I could tell people want to build better worlds, but they don't have any definition of better. Um, so let me give you two things, and then we're done. Number one, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and this will be very similar to what I told you last week, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to become one. Become one. I'm, I'm here to make disciples who make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To immersed in water, be baptized, and go, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. So if you've not done that, write on your connection card that you're interested. We will reach out. We will have a conversation with you. We will meet up with you, listen to your story, and you can start on this journey. Become a Christian. It's going to add framework to a very frustrating, fearful world. Um, and it's, gonna, it's, it's useful. I know you're going to have intellectual questions and doubts and challenges. We all have those. Those aren't all going to go away. Some of those will be answered. Some you will still wrestle with. But I would say this car is going somewhere. So I invite you to, to be in it.
Um, and secondly, if you are a Christian, I think we are the people who can be a non-anxious presence in the world. We are the people who can, who can overcome fear because we have real reasons to overcome it. And we need to speak up and say, hey, this is a different way forward. This is a, a, an actual vision of the future. This is what human flourishing looks like. Speak up. Now, um, speaking up is, can be, uh, comes with a whole other set of fear, right, of being rejected or canceled. Um, I understand that. We will finish up this series by talking about that next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you for giving shape and meaning and, and morality and destiny and origin to, to all of human history. God, there's a grand story here and you've placed us in the middle of it. And so, God, I, I pray we recognize it and step up and play our part well. Um, God, I, I, um, I know people are anxious. I know we are fearful. I, I, I live there too. I live in this world too and I, I know what it's like. And so I pray you help us to push through to see, uh, to, to raise our sights and to, to have a higher vision for what is going on and why. Um, thank you, Lord, for um, providing shape to existence, for giving us your word, for sending your son to us so we can understand where this is all going. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.